Luke 18. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to there or use the Bible in the pew uh, or if, you know, click to there, whatever that looks like. Uh, I'm acknowledging the fact that I think this is the second time I've spoke at church since the end of June. I'm trying to uh, pray that I remember how to do this. Uh, but we were gone for all of July and then the series, special series that we did in August where we're rotating speakers. Um, you know, hey, I'm excited to be back doing this, and so, uh, which is really weird, but it was a very good break. Um, so uh, to get us started, I have been uh, helping to coach my son Jackson's soccer team uh, over these last few weeks. And so I used to play soccer and get to be able to come alongside and help him and be a part of this has been a lot of fun, and just uh, especially with some of his friends being on the team and being able to come alongside and just play and everything with them. Um, there's two groups of students that we're working with. And so one of the groups is fourth and fifth graders, and the other group is sixth and seventh graders. My son's a seventh grader, and some eighth graders in there too. Um, and then the angel said, let there be light. Um, some of these students have never played soccer before, um, and it, it's, it's very clear within that. Some of them have been playing for years, and it's also very clear within that. And so as we're going through different drills and scrimmages and running them to death and everything like that, there are some that we're just literally introducing the basics to. Um, to say you need to dribble the uh, soccer ball, they're like, I thought you did that with the basketball. No, you, you know, here, so let's talk about this. And talking about footwork and on passing, we're really having to like introduce the basics. Others of them, they've been playing for a few years, and so it's a review of the basics, but it's also a repracticing them because even the most fundamental things you have to get good at and the better you get at the fundamentals the better of a player you are and so it's reviewing and reminding them to those things across the board though they're all learning soccer they're at different stages but they have said i'm going to be on this team i'm going to be committed to play and now to as they go along the journey they're all trying to grow and become better players they're at different stages within that but they're all learning and practicing and trying and growing. Um, Vince Lombardi, the famous uh, football coach of the team of the North that shall not be named, uh, he came into training camp one summer after a horrible loss. It was a horrible loss. I just want to uh, indicate that. And he figured, you know what, we need to get back to basics with this team. And so one author said that Coach Lombardi, he began with the most elemental statement of all. He came in and said, gentlemen, this is a football. We have to get back to the most basic of things. This is a football. And with the soccer players we're coaching with on Jackson's team, I feel like it's the exact same thing. Guys, this is a soccer ball. We have to start with the most basic of things. I bring all this up because it's the exact same thing when we're following Jesus. With the reality of being one of his followers, with being a disciple of Jesus, it has to come down to sometimes that most basic of things. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a disciple. Do we remember what that is? Do we know what that means? And again, everybody that begins to follow Jesus has to make that decision to put their faith in him. I am one with him. I'm part of this family. I'm on the team. And as we're all in different places within that journey, some of us are being introduced to some basic things. Some of them have been being reminded of some, basic, some other things. All of us can grow in this journey, though. And so we're starting this series, this, this um, going into the season, called Discipleship One-on-One. -on -one. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? How do we follow him 
And Jesus was constantly extending the invitation to people. Follow me. He says to two brothers who were fishing, come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. To a crowd who came to hear him teach, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. To an outcast tax collector, he said, follow me. To this guy named Philip, he just happened to meet along the way, happened to meet along the way. He said, follow me. To each and every one of us, Jesus is calling us with the same invitation. Come and follow me. Be part of this new life, this life that you were made for, this life that you're craving, desiring, that your heart longs for. Come and follow me. But the reality is, and as we're going to see it over the next few weeks and next few months, to follow Jesus is an everything. It's all. It's all or nothing. When a person cannonballs into a pool, it's all or nothing. There's no halfway. When a person goes skydiving, it's jump or no jump. There is no partial reality there. When somebody gets married, it's I do or it's I don't. There's no half. And it's the same with Jesus. He isn't calling us to be partially in or periodically in. He's calling us to follow him with our everything, completely who we are, following him. And life with him, the Bible says, and I believe it 110%, that life with him is the greatest life we can know as human beings. Life with Jesus is what we were created for. And so that's what this series is going to be about as we move in throughout the fall, is what is that life and how do we live that life? What are the fundamentals that some of us need to be introduced to, that some of us need to be reminded of? And how, how can all of us grow more and more in how we follow him? And so before we jump into this first part, uh, let me pray and ask God to speak to us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much just for your presence here. We thank you, God, just for the fact that we can gather from all the different weeks that we've had and things we've had going on which you have been with us for and you've been walking with us, but to be able to come and gather together in your presence, God, we know what a special thing this is. And we're grateful for it. We're grateful for how you make this happen and how you knit us together and how you've made this church family what it is. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to see what it means to follow you. I pray as we go into this today and in the weeks and months ahead, that you would draw us more to you, that you would remind us what it looks like to follow you or introduce it to us for the first time, that your word would be powerful, God, that it would not return void, but that it would change us, that we would, God, we would see the reality of who we are and that we would surrender to you. Again, I'm so grateful for everyone who is part of this family. I pray that you would speak to us, encourage us. It's in your name we pray, amen. And so today we're going to start off in Luke 18, specifically verse 18, where this guy comes up and asks Jesus a question. He says, it says, this ruler came and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't know who this guy is. Maybe in your Bible, it might say that Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler or something like that. We don't, that. His first name isn't rich, that we don't know anything about what his name is or anything like that. It was just this guy who came up and asked him, Teacher, what do I do 
to receive, to inherit eternal life. And really the question that he's asking is a question everyone should be asking. Today is uh, September 4th, next week the 11th, and obviously 9-11 is a big uh, day in our country. I have, memory, I have many memories from 9-11 and just navigating that with our church and our youth group um, and even the week thereafter, weeks thereafter. But one of my very vivid memories is watching Billy Graham preach just a few days later at the National Memorial Service in the Washington National Cathedral. Because I'm thinking in myself, I remember going into youth group that night going, oh my goodness, how do I talk about this with 30 or 40 junior high students? And then thinking Billy Graham is going to address the nation. <laughs> what would you say? And his message was powerful. In fact, I would, I would even recommend that sometime between now and next weekend, that's a really cool thing to do is just YouTube that and Billy Graham's message for 9-11. And it's a powerful message. But one of the points that he said during, during that message is he communicated this. This event reminds us of the brevity and the uncertainty of life. We never know when we too will be called into eternity. I doubt if those people who got on those planes or who walked into the World Trade Center or the Pentagon on Tuesday thought that it would be the, la would be the last day of their lives. And that's why we, we each must face our own spiritual need and commit ourselves to God and his will. That last part right there. We each must face our own spiritual need. We each, within thinking of the brevity and the uncertainty and the beauty of life, we each must face our own spiritual need. Billy Graham is basically saying you, you all, we all, need to ask this young man's question. Because that's what his question was tied to, a spiritual Need. He wasn't asking just, he wasn't necessarily asking the best question, but the fact that he was asking it shows is that he was thinking about his relationship with God and where he stands in relationship to God. He was thinking about his spiritual need. Have you ever thought about that in your own life? Have you thought about the reality of where you stand before God and how you stand before God? Of the spiritual need that you have when it comes to thinking of the reality of God and the fact that we can be in relationship with him. We each must consider where we stand before God and what is to be done about that. It requires honesty. It requires openness and vulnerability and even humility. And what I'm asking you to do this morning is to consider that spiritual need as we go through this young man's conversation with Jesus. Because what really this conversation is a conversation about what does it mean to follow him? By engaging this young man, Jesus is saying, here's what it looks like. Here's what it means to follow me. And so the first thing that we're directed to is in following him is that we have to consider who Jesus is. We have to consider who Jesus is. Jesus being the excellent teacher that he was, he answered the young man's question with a question. It says in verse 19, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You've called me good, young man. Are you acknowledging that I'm God? Because only God is good. And so are you saying that I am God? 
When you think of Jesus, who is Jesus? Do you know the reality of Jesus? Not based on our individual personal opinions, because we can't just craft an order on who Jesus is going to be. We have to let Jesus introduce himself to us and show himself to us and make sure we're clear on the reality of who he is. And some of the things the Bible teaches about as far as who Jesus is, is that first and foremost, he was fully God and fully human. He was fully God and fully human. It says in John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Colossians 2 it says, For in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He was one person, but fully God, fully human. 100% God, 100% man. He lived a fully and perfect life. He lived a full and perfect life. It tells us in Hebrews 2, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. As we go through the stories of the Gospels and what others say about Jesus, we see that this was, not only was he 100% human, but he lived the fullness of life. And he knew the fullness of life, the good and the bad, the ins and the outs, the mountains and the valleys. And so when we bring our lives to him, he gets it. He understands in every way. He has fully lived fully, and but lived perfectly, never sinning, never compromising, never doing wrong. And also, he lived so that he could die in our place, rise from the dead, and show us how to live. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to hundreds of people who witnessed the reality that he rose from the dead. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came because we needed, we needed him. We need, not just to, like people so that people could rub up shoulders with him, but humanity needed him. Our sin separates us, God, breaks the relationship that we have. It creates the brokenness that we see in creation in the world. And Jesus came to live that perfect life so that when he went to the cross, all of our sin could be put on him and that penalty paid. But then in rising from the dead, he conquered sin, conquered death. The debt was paid. And in rising from the dead, he says, come and follow me and enter into this resurrected life. I want to give you a new identity, a new life, a new hope that's only in me, Jesus tells us. And he invites us into that. Do you realize that this is who Jesus is? Fully God and fully human. Lived fully, lived perfectly. Lived so that he could die in our place and rise from the dead. Lived so that we could know how to live. Any answer that we have as far as who is Jesus that isn't this and is something else is a wrong answer to the question because this is who Jesus has told us who he is. Who's, when you think of the reality of Jesus, do you know this? Do you see this? Do you realize this? Maybe for some of you, the implications of this is that, you know what, I've had some different ideas of Jesus. I just thought he was a great guy. I just thought he was a great teacher. I didn't realize he was God walking on foot amongst us. 
didn't realize that he came and died and then rose again so that I could live. And so maybe there's some changes you need to have in your thinking of him. And for maybe for some of you, it's the reality of these are things you've heard before. But maybe they just have become so normalized that they don't grip you the way that they should. The fact that God wanted to give you life. That God gives you hope and joy and purpose. That God forgives. And he does it all through the reality of his son for us. We need to be reminded of who Jesus is. Consider the reality of who Jesus is. He wasn't just a great guy. He wasn't merely a powerful teacher. He was God on foot, come to us out of love for us so that we could come home and be in relationship with him. We have to consider who Jesus is. The second thing in this story, following him means we have to consider the cost of following him. We have to consider the cost of following him. In verse 20, it says, Jesus said to the guy, you know the commandments? Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the young guy said, all these I have kept from my youth. You can almost hear kind of like the positive, and I've done all that. Remember, he asked what to do to get eternal life. He was all about the checklist. What are the steps? What are the, what's the sequence? What are the things that I need to accomplish? And so he probably was thinking something along the lines of church, okay, check. Small group, okay, check. Gave something this month, check. Pretty good person, check. Helped at the food bank, check. Did, check. He had all the check boxes in his line. He just wanted to know, I have all these things checked. Is there something that I don't have checked that I need to get checked? Is there anything missing amongst the list that I wasn't aware of? Jesus knows exactly what's going on in this guy's heart. It's why he gives him a checklist so that you can say to this guy, oh, I've done all these things. But then Jesus cuts to the heart of that thinking, the problem of that thinking. And the problem of our hearts when we think that there's just a checklist that we have to fulfill. He says in verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have. And distribute it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Jesus doesn't give him a list of things to do. He tells us to make lists and then consider their reality. List out all you have, and then realize that nothing compares to me. List out all of your relationships and realize no one compares to me. List out all of your accomplishments and realize that none of it compares to what I have done, Jesus says. List out all you find value in and then realize no other value giver compares to what I give you. List out all of your hopes and dreams and realize no other purposes compares to what I want to do in your life. Jesus wants, to a ditch, wants us all to ditch our lists, abandon all of our inventories, and make all of who we are focused on all of who he is. It says in Luke, he says in another part, one of the gospels, another part of this gospel, in Luke 9, he said to, he said to a group of people, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Another portion of the New Testament in Galatians, it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus wants all of you. And Jesus doesn't want to just be a part of your life. Jesus wants to define your life. I've used this image in the past, and I probably will always come back to it because I think it's just so important for us to process and for some of us to be reminded of. A lot of times what happens is we think about God being a part of our life. With all the midst of everything else we have going on, whether it's work or family, friends, sports, whatever it is, we, a lot of times what people think of is that God is a piece of the pie of what defines our life. He's just one of the pieces like all the other pieces. But that is not what God is communicating to us. That is not what Jesus is presenting us with, offering us, calling us into. What happens is, can you go to the next one? One more, sorry. God wants to be part of all of it. God wants to saturate every single aspect of your life, to define every single thing. Yet there are many things that every single person in here is passionate about. And it's some of the things in those pieces of the pies up here, whether it's family or finances or education, work, your title, there's sports, hobbies, things that you've done. None of that is in and of itself bad. But what Jesus is saying is, I want to be first. I want to be the most important. I want to be the one that defines you. I want to be the thing that's above all the rest of it and influences every single thing. I want you, not just a part of you. I want the whole thing, not just a little taste. I want you to give me your life. And he tells us, and I'm going to give you life. And so you have to ask yourself, when you think about the reality of Jesus, when you think about the reality of what it means to follow him, have you surrendered all? Or have you just been like, you know what, I'm just, I, I, you know what, I was on social media and there was a page about Jesus and I liked him. I mean, I come, I like being around other people who sing about Jesus. That's really cool. That's uplifting when that happens. I have a Bible in my house. I like talking about Jesus stuff and Christmas is great. I mean, I want to help as I... I mean, that's not all bad stuff, but that is a lame description of what it means to be a follower of Christ. To have this relationship with God Almighty, that he defines who I am, and I get to be a part of what he's doing in the world. To help people experience his great love, and to be a part of what he's doing to make this world better in his name, and to be a part of his, and to make it that his kingdom would come, and I could help bring it into what's happening in this world. God is calling us to something bigger, and we settle for smallness. God is calling us into the greatness of his kingdom, and we settle for trivial things that don't last and ultimately don't matter. What, what are, where is Jesus in your heart? Is he just somebody that you're a fan of, that you think is neat, that you want to be a part of if something is scheduled? 
Or have you given everything? Have you surrendered who you are so that he can give you life? Many are in the count the cost stage and they think they are Christ followers when reality there is just checking Jesus out and haven't surrendered. I pray that you're not, you move past that investigation stage and that you move into a relationship with him. We have to consider what the cost is. And part of considering the cost is also thinking about the next thing. To follow Jesus is to consider the distractions and lies that keep us from following him. To follow Jesus is to be aware of the distractions and the lies that keep us from following him. It says in verse 23, When the young man heard these things that Jesus said, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, is Jesus saying that it's bad to have money to be rich? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that those who are affluent, who have more, have a very unique challenge that others don't because when you have it all, you think, what else do I need? I'm good. Why would I need Jesus? Why would I need the Lord? Why would I need anything for my soul when I could just buy happiness? And I hope that, especially in our day and age, if you've lived through the COVID season, I hope you realize and to come to grips with the fact and don't forget or deny that nothing that you have is permanent. And if anything, the two years of COVID taught us is that everything that we hold on to for meaning and value and purpose and comfort can be gone like that. Again, it's not bad. But if you are blinded to the need, your spiritual need before God because of stuff, I hope you remember the last two years because the stuff can go just like that. My daughter knows somebody who, um, she showed me pictures of their house completely burnt down. Lost everything. It happened. The things that we hold on to can go like that quick. But with Jesus, the hope and the purpose and the joy is permanent. The reality is, so again, this isn't saying to have stuff is bad. It's to, what are the things that we think we have? And this goes beyond, yes, wealth is there, but it goes to anything. Well, I have this. So why would I need him? And the reality is, is that we are, you know, the, our, our dog is, has some physical issues. We can't take her for a walk anymore. But I remember when she was able to get around really well on all four, we would be walking around this, down the street. Everything would be really great. Squirrel! And then, phew, just gone. And we all have that kind of proverbial, like, whoop, squirrel, distraction. What's this thing over there? Shiny thing, whatever it is. And the reality is you have something in your life where Jesus is before you. Jesus is calling you. He is showing you the life that he has for you. But man, this job or this relationship or this whatever it is. Again, not that it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean that to follow Jesus you can't have a job, relationship, money, or anything else like that. It's to say I'm not worshiping that. I'm worshiping Jesus. I'm not following that. I'm following him. I'm not identifying with those things. I'm identifying with him. And who I am in him guides how I live in the midst of all that stuff and not vice versa. But we get so distracted when we start looking to the other things rather than to looking to him. We all have something which will distract us 
from following Jesus. Sense of meaning, fear of how others will respond, allowing hurt or insecurities to drive us or to define us, doubts and questions we hide behind rather than pursuing answers, pride in not wanting anyone to tell us how to live or how to be. This is a huge one in our culture today. Who are you to tell me who to be and how to be? And people have that attitude toward the Lord. It's easier to say that God doesn't exist than to acknowledge that he does and then in turn follow him and allow him to guide us. We don't want him to guide us. We don't want him to define us. So it's easier to just deny the reality of him, regardless of all the evidence that tells us contrary. I'd rather just do my own thing than to acknowledge that there's a holy God who has better plans than anything that I could come up with. Some of our distractions are putting earthly games above eternal impact, the stuff, the relationships, whatever it is. We have to be honest. Sometimes it's just we're selfish. Sometimes we're prideful. Sometimes we're lazy. But whatever it is, we each have a distraction. And so what's your distraction? Maybe you're just trying to check Jesus out. You're seeking him. Maybe you're new to this thing. Maybe you've been following him for a while. What's the distraction that pulls you away from passionately loving and following and serving Jesus? What's the distraction that keeps him, that causes you to keep him out of your workplace or out of your home or out of your classes or out of your ambitions? What's the thing that's causing you to try to compartmentalize Jesus rather than allowing him to saturate everything? We have to acknowledge our distractions. It tells us that this young man, that he became very sad because he didn't want to go. He was very, very rich, and so he walked away. And the thing is, is that he became very sad, it tells us, because he didn't want to let go of what he is. And I don't, the thing that's so tragic about this story is the sadness that he felt is only a prelude of more disappointment to come because he trusted something other than Jesus. What is the thing that you have a fear or a sadness or whatever, or whatever it is, because you don't want to have to let this go? And don't let that be a prelude of tragedy to come, of disappointment, because you'd rather serve and follow something else compared to him. What are your distractions? Identify those things. Remove those things if necessary and come to him. The last thing, following Jesus, we have to consider who he is, we have to consider the cost, we have to consider the distractions, but then we also want to consider the life that Jesus is inviting us into. Consider the life that Jesus is inviting you into. So consider the invitation. It says in verse 26, those who heard Jesus say this said, well then who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and follow you. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. I said this in the beginning and I'll say it now. Life of Jesus is the greatest life that we could ever know as people. Life with him. Following him, this is the life we were created for. 
Jesus says in John 10, Jesus said in John 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's saying this to people who are already physically alive, saying, I want to give you life and life that overflows and is abundance to where you're not just breathing in existence, but there's more because of what I'm giving you. It says in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even in the deadness of our sins and our failures, the things that keep us from God and destroy that relationship, God loved you. God loves you more than you know, more than you can comprehend. God loves you perfectly. There's nothing that you can do that will cause him to love you more, and there's nothing you can do that will cause him to love you less. He loved you immensely, and he sent his son because of that love and through that love to die in our place so that we can know life with him, so our sins could be forgiven and we can be restored back to a relationship with God. It was because of his love that all that happened. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. I read a portion of Billy Graham's 9-11 message earlier. The idea of this event reminds us of the brevity and the uncertainty of life. We must each face our own spiritual need and commit ourselves to God and his will. Billy Graham also said this in that message. Here in this majestic national cathedral, we see all around us the symbol of the cross. For the Christian, the cross tells us that God understands our sin and our suffering. For he took them upon himself in the person of Jesus Christ. From the cross, God declares, I love you. I know the heartaches and sorrows and pains in you, that you feel, but I love you. The story does not end with the cross, though. For Easter points us beyond the tragedy of cross, the cross to the empty tomb. It tells us that there is a hope for eternal life. For Christ has conquered evil and death and hell. Yes, there is hope. The life of hope is what Jesus is calling you and I into. He says, follow me. And for some of you hearing this, this idea of following him, it would be like, uh, I went over and I, I, I ran yesterday when I got done running. I, I went over to the lake. I just, I needed to jump in. I hadn't been in almost all summer. I just wanted to be in the lake. And there was this moment where I was just kind of standing there on the dock, and I was just kind of like, oh, man, I know it's going to be really cold. Do I really want to do this? And, and so there was a little bit of contemplation. There was just like trying to, uh, yes, no, uh, you know, just kind of thinking it through. And then there was a kind of the moment where it was just like, oh, I'm just going to, okay, well, how cold is it? And just kind of like put my foot down and like kind of feel the water out. And then there was the moment of jumping in. And the reality is that for some of you, when it comes to Jesus, you're standing on the dock and just kind of contemplating things. The reality is, is that you're avoiding the water. You might be afraid of the water. Maybe you're a little unsure. And you have maybe some strong feelings about things. But the reality is you don't know the truth of who he is. Have you really truly, do you, have you considered who he is and what he's inviting you into? And just to be here near the water doesn't mean that you are in the water. For some of you, when it comes to Jesus, you're just kind of putting your toe in. You're just checking things out. You're on Sunday, maybe you go to a group every once in a while, you're willing to help out if people need help, you try to be good. But that's just all toe in the water type stuff. Jesus is asking us to jump in. 
to dive in, to be in life with him, to experience fullness, the fullness of life. And you can't experience the fullness of what that is until you dive in following him. Just putting your toe in or just observing from the edge is not following Jesus. And you're missing out on the joy of life with him. Which one of those describes where you're at? Just kind of, maybe you have some walls up, just contemplating, keeping your distance. Maybe just putting your toe in. But in reality, you haven't really committed. And then maybe, hopefully for a lot of you, you have jumped in. Are you a, do you remember the joy of jumping into that water? The life of that experience? Or has that become settled for you? And so wherever you're at today, I want to challenge you to consider the reality of what Jesus is calling us into. If you're on that edge, I always want to ask that you would stick with us over the course of this series, over these next few weeks, to not allow distractions or not to allow bad experiences or not to allow bad information to present a wrong idea of who Jesus is, but join us as we look at the scriptures to see who Christ is and what he's calling us into. That you wouldn't just look from afar, but that you'd be willing and open to hear the message of Christ and at some point maybe jump in and follow him. For some of you, you've been putting your toe in and maybe I, I want to invite you to stick with us for the series to move beyond that. Because you are missing out on the experience of life with him, and it is time to give your life to Jesus. For some of you, you have been following Christ for a while. And so I hope that as we go through this, that this is a reminder of that life, a rejuvenation of that life that he's given you, a reminder to fan into flame that gift that he's given to you, to return to your first love, that God would give you a passion to follow him. And it wouldn't just be commonplace. We want to honor our relationship with him. We want to repent from a partial life that needs to be saturated. We want to put our faith in, in him and begin following him, wherever you're at within that. I pray that you don't just hear this and walk away. I pray that you'll stick with us. I pray that you, you are, have a willingness and openness of your heart to hear the word. And whatever God is calling you to, that you would respond. That you would hear him say, follow me and that you would follow. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for the fact that you pursue us. We thank you for the fact that you love us. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness. God, we thank you so much that you call us into a new life. God, I pray for everyone here who's listening today. I pray for those who may be watching online now or later. I pray that the truth of your word would penetrate our hearts. I pray that you would crush our distractions, excuses. God, that, that we would hear from you, we would see what you're calling us into, and that we would move toward you, not away. That we would jump in, but not avoid. God, I pray that you would help us to follow you. Whatever you're laying on our hearts this morning, God, I pray you give us courage to respond. It's in your name we pray, amen. We're going to do this last song together. If you stand with us as we do it, and... As we're going through this song, you know what?